Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic and welcome to Christmas. No one's excited as I am. I love Christmas. This is one of my favorite times of year. Um, I love gift giving. I love the time spent with family. I love Christmas trees and Christmas lights and Christmas ornaments. And my wife is the one who makes me wait till after Thanksgiving to put it all up and makes me take it all down before March. Otherwise, my entire winter would be Christmas and I would be thrilled. And there were like three of you out there who are on board with that with me. Uh, the rest of you, I know this is kind of early, but we are excited about Christmas here at Epic. So if you're new with us, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, you hit us right at the beginning of this series. My name's Evan. I'm on staff here at Epic. And for this Christmas, we're looking at Christmas just a little bit differently. Um, we're going to try and take a different perspective at the Christmas story. So as much as I love Christmas, as an exciting as this season is for me, I don't know about you guys, but going into this year, I am really tired. Is anybody else just exhausted going into this season? Yeah, there are a handful of you there. I don't know if it's just been a long year. I don't know if it's uh, that day we're not talking about from uh, several weeks ago um, and all of the stuff that went along with that day. I'm not going to talk about the election. I promised I wouldn't. And so that's why I'm not bringing that up. But I think that's why I'm tired. Not just all the political stuff we dealt with throughout the entire year, but the fact that we saw friends and family members and coworkers just tear each other apart over the past like six or eight months. It's been a really long time. This is a season of hope. It's a season we're supposed to be excited about. And this year, it just feels like that hope is a little harder to hold on to, a little harder to grasp or to find. So that's why I'm excited that we're digging into this season just a little bit early this year is because I'm hoping it will help us find the hope that this season brings. Because this is a chance where we get to celebrate the greatest story ever told. Right? Just like the video said, this is the story of stories. This is the story of our redemption. And we have the opportunity to celebrate it and to share it. And we think about it beginning right around 2,000 years ago when Jesus showed up. But before there was a manger, before a whole bunch of angels came and sang to some shepherds, before poor Mary was scared half to death by Gabriel saying, hey, guess what? You're carrying the hope of all mankind. No pressure. Before any of that happened, the story starts way, way before that. The story starts all the way back in the beginning. And so this morning, we're going to look at the very first prophecy of Jesus as our Messiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the front of your Bibles. And we have just begun the world in the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. You guys know the creation story. Here is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, just kind of existing, and then God speaks, and life, and light, and worlds begin to exist. He creates galaxies. He begins to form stars and planets. He crafts this earth that can sustain life. He brings forth plant life, and animal life, and birds, and fish. And then he takes dirt, and he forms this man in his own image, this dirt man, this first man, Adam. And then he, he creates Eve out of Adam. And for some period of time, Adam and Eve walk in this amazing 
paradise called Eden. And they get this communication with God that we can't even begin to grasp because there was no separation between creator and created. Right? They just existed together. And then Eve meets a serpent. And this serpent takes God's words, his truth, and twists it to lie and convinces Eve that it's okay to do the one thing God had said, hey, don't do this. And she takes the fruit from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. She eats of it. She gives it to Adam. And in that moment, their world, our world is changed forever. Have you ever screwed up so royally you knew there was no going back? That this was just it. That it was done. There was no finessing your way out of the situation. You couldn't talk yourself out of it. You couldn't find some loophole that said, no, I'm really not at fault here. There was just no way you were getting out of it. When I was 16, my dad gifted me a car. And I realized this is going to label me as a spoiled brat, and I'm okay with that. My first car was a cherry apple red 1995 Pontiac Firebird that I loved. Tinted T-tops, gorgeous sounding engine. This thing had these leather seats where when you sat up front, they had these cool little flaps that held onto your hips. So when you took a corner just a little too tight, you didn't move an inch. I loved this car. Now, there'll be a lot of people who tell you it was wasted on me as a teenage boy because I wasn't a risk taker. And so I was a fairly safe driver. I didn't get a lot of tickets. Actually, I don't think I got any tickets with this car. Um, and so, eh, another story, another sermon. So I just, I absolutely love this car. And my parents trusted me with it because I built up that trust. And so late that year, um, it was early winter. I want to say late November, early December. I was helping with the worship team at a church we were attending as a family. And my sister and I got up bright and early, got in the car, and off to church we went. And about 15 minutes into the trip, I got into a little collision. I hit a car going about 35 miles an hour. Um, my memory is that they stopped short out of the middle of nowhere. The police report says I was following just a little too closely. I don't know. But when you hit a car going 35 miles an hour and it's a sports car, the car looks horrible by the time you're done. I totaled the car. Airbags blow, there's dust everywhere. We stop and I kind of get myself situated and I look and my sister and I are both okay. And so I get her out of the car, we get outside and I can still remember looking and there are pieces of my car strewn around the lane. And I had those head headlights that popped up like this. They were kind of cool. And one of them was there in the lane in front of my car and I picked it up and I almost cried. And I'm okay, well, I'll put it in the back seat. Maybe I can save the car. No, no, the car wasn't saved. It was just, it was an absolute wreck. So we get off on the side of the road. The other car pulls off because they really weren't too badly damaged. Um, my car wasn't going anywhere. And we wait for the police to show up. And a couple of minutes later, a family friend pulls up behind us and it's freezing outside. And so they said, hey, are you guys okay? Can we do anything for you? I said, look, would it be all right if my sister sat in the back of your car? It's warm and then you guys got the heater. And they said, sure, no problem. And so they put her in the car and they drive off to a parking lot just a little bit up the road to wait everything out. 
then the police show up, and because 911 was called, an ambulance rolled out, and everybody's singing on the side of the road. The police are taking my statement, talking to me, making sure everything's okay. And I look up, and my parents pull up behind my car, and they stop. And my dad gets out of the car. And kind of takes in the entire situation, and I will never forget the look on his face as he looks at my car that no longer has a front end. Airbags are out the side windows. He sees me talking to a police officer. He sees an ambulance, and he doesn't see my sister. If you are a father who has a daughter, you understand what my dad might have been feeling in that moment. All I saw was that I wasn't walking out of that situation alive. The look in his face—I've never seen it before, and I have never seen it since. But I knew in that moment I had messed up beyond anything that I could possibly repair on my own. I was done. Now, to my dad's great credit, he did not kill me in the moment. He was extremely gracious. We figured everything out, and after some period of time and a lot of work with my parents, I was finally able to build up trust again. In order to go out and drive once more, but it all took a lot of time. But in that moment, I really thought I'd never get to hold the keys to a car again. I never thought my dad would trust me again. I wasn't sure that they would ever be willing to let me spend any time with my sister ever again. I can only imagine Adam and Eve as the weight of what they had done settled on them. Right? They ate this fruit that gave them knowledge that there was good God. And there was evil. Now them, and they had brought that chasm into existence. I can't even imagine what they were feeling. We know that they were ashamed. They clothed themselves. They heard God walking through the garden, and they hid, like you can hide from God behind a bush. And God calls out, "Adam, where are you?" Because you know, he doesn't know where Adam is. Adam, where are you? <laughs> and Adam says, "I had to hide because I'm naked, and I am so grateful for just this little tiny phrase because God came seeking them out. We serve a God who seeks the lost in order to save them, and that's just a beautiful image right there. But God comes looking for him and says, "Adam, <laughs> how do you know you were naked?" And Adam begins the blame shift game, right? He says it was Eve. You know, the woman you gave me—totally her fault. Eve says, "Hey, look, you created this serpent, and he's the one who talked me into eating the fruit. It's all on him." And everybody was pointing fingers to God. So God then begins to have to lay out: these are the consequences of the decisions that you have made, and that's where we find ourselves in Genesis. Chapter three, and in verse fifteen, God is speaking to the serpent, and He's laying out, "Hey, look, this is what happens because of what you've done." And in verse fifteen, God says, "I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel." Sin has just entered the world. The world forever changed, and the very first thing God does is points Adam and Eve, points the people of Israel who read this leader, points us to the hope 
that we have to look forward to. He, God, gives us the very first prophecy of Jesus as our Messiah. The beginning of that verse there, he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. This is actually really interesting because the writer of Genesis was part of Israel, a patriarchal society. Men were really all that counted. And when you had genealogies listed out, it was a father to a son, a father to a son, a father to a son. And for the most part, women were not included in those things. But God specifically points out that it is her offspring, not his, her offspring. And it's not a huge group of people. The next sentence leads us to see that it's a singular man that he's talking about. So God gives them a glimpse. This is what you're looking for. You're looking for a woman and her male offspring. When we see the birth of Jesus, there was no father, earthly father, involved in his conception. God gave Jesus to Mary to carry. And so right here, God says, hey, you're gonna be looking for something special. And here's the hope you have to look forward to. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God says, look, serpent, here's the deal. You're gonna take a shot and I'm gonna let you do it. But it's not gonna be a final blow. And we see it in the death of Jesus. Jesus gave everything to be our Messiah. And when he's on that cross, Satan throws everything he has against God and kills his only son and really believes in that moment, I took care of it. The savior of the world, dead at my hands and my work, they're done. But he only got his heel. Because on the third morning, when Jesus comes out of that grave, He strikes a blow to death. He breaks the chains of sin on our lives and in one fell swoop conquers Satan and everything he has to offer in our lives. He strikes the final fatal blow to Satan's head. And all of this is foretold the moment sin enters our world because God had a plan from day one. If you're looking for hope this season, if this is a rough season for you, there are a lot of reasons that people don't like Christmas. It brings up bad family memories. It stirs up pain from broken relationships, anger, frustration. There is a huge group of people who are gonna walk through these doors this morning who really, really, despise this time of year because of what it brings up for them. If you are looking for hope this season, it's right here that God had a plan from day one. He had a plan for everyone. He has a plan for you, for what you're dealing with right now. And just like he conquered death and sin in a final blow, he is able to conquer that thing in your life that you're having to walk through right now if you will allow him to step in and give you that hope. And so in this moment, God foretells hope for us, 
for you, for me, for mankind, for Israel, as they're getting ready to show up on the scene a little time later. God foretells hope. It's this beautiful image of a perfect father who reacts in an amazing way, because that wouldn't be my reaction. My son Ephraim is five years old, and he's just gotten into football. It's the one sport we all kind of watch together. We go to my parents' house Sunday afternoons, and it shows up on the screen while we're all doing stuff, and we'll sit down and we'll watch a game together. And Ephraim loves it. He can tell you just about every team by the colors of their jerseys, and he will sit there and scream and yell and have no clue what's going on, but he really likes the tackling. He loves watching these guys just slam into each other. Now, we have had to learn this football season that we don't tackle our two-year-old sister. That's been a harder lesson to teach this year, (laughs) but we're working on it and we've gotten pretty good. So what he does instead, he has these little like matchbox style cars from the movie cars, and he lines them up in these perfect two rows, like an offensive and defensive line. And he'll sit there and he'll give them two team names. And then this little kid will slam these cars together, just going crazy. I have never heard so much commotion come out of a handful of matchbox cars. And I mean, there are chips of paint flying everywhere and wheels and tires. And sooner or later, one of these little cars gets out and scores like an 18-point touchdown. We're working on the rules. Um, But he has an absolute blast. This is how he plays football since he can't tackle his sister. And inevitably, at some point after the game is over, he comes up to me with this little car and he says, hey, dad, can you fix this? because there are like two tires missing and one of the side mirrors is hanging off on the side. Now, as a not always perfect father, my reaction initially is, sorry, dude, you messed it up. Good luck with that. Like, that's what I want to say. That's what I want to do is you broke it, you fix it. And unfortunately, I've said that a couple of times. And there is a lesson to be learned about taking care of our things. But I also have to remember, my son is five. And he has an amazing imagination and he's just having a good time. And here's the deal. He has a broken car. And if I'll take a second to breathe, I have Gorilla Glue. And Gorilla Glue fixed a host of things that are wrong with that poor little car. And so once I finally, okay, buddy, it's another broken car, but let me see what I can do. And I'll start putting tires back on and I'll fix a a mirror and he can go back and play with it again. And once it's to the point that I can no longer fix it, into the trash it goes, but for a while... I can put it all back together. Now, our amazing God didn't react like I would normally react because he could have done it. He could have said, I made this perfect world for you. Everything was great. You did the one thing, one thing I told you not to do. So good luck with that. I'm going to go over here and make Earth 2.0. It's going to be really awesome with water slides. And you guys just kind of deal with this and burn up and I'll see you later. He really could have done that. He could have hit a reset button. He could have wiped it all out and started from scratch, done the Etch-a-Sketch thing. He could have done whatever he wanted. And instead, God chose to be this perfect father who loved those people that he had created, who had a plan for them before they even knew they were going to mess up and say, yeah, all right. God, here's our broken paradise. Can you fix it? God, 
here's my broken life. Can you fix it? And God reaches into his heavenly workshop and pulls out this amazing version of Gorilla Clue that he has and says, yeah, I can fix that. I can put it back together and I'm going to give you back something that's better than you could have possibly imagined in the first place. Because our perfect father was ready to do whatever it took, to do anything, to give everything to restore our relationship with him. Foretold, for unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. This story, though, does not begin in Isaiah. No, this story begins far before our falling condition. In the beginning, a world created, God in three parts, this universe in perfection orchestrated. Then they said, let us create man in our image. And they agreed, and into the dust they breathed life, created and creator, whole together holy. But one temptation caused separation, pride to be like the creator, to take God's place, a throne never designed for man, the created longed for knowledge to be greater. Words twisted and lies believed, humankind fell, sin, the curse, conceived. The man and woman hid away from God who longed to walk with them, now aware of the chasm between holy and broken life and death. But our story does not end here. No, though the curse began, God with grace intervened to repair. And a seed began to grow through history, despite each generation's growing iniquity. A plan to use broken humankind to redeem our lives through the lowly and the humble, through the mighty and kings. A plan to create grace for all. The whispered in prophecy, unknown to his people, his plan. You see, he sowed the seed of redemption to be born of a virgin, a son, his name, Jesus. This boy to grow, a man to teach the way, to be the way, the word with us, Emmanuel. And at the right time, his, he was crucified. And in his death, he crushed the serpent's head. But in his life risen again, we find hope for the cord severed by sin, restored again, whole together, holy. Foretold, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. This story does not end with our fallen condition. No, this story is redemption, abolition of our sin ambition. We now celebrate a small child who was called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, our Savior, come at last. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. So where do we find our hope this year? Our story doesn't end with our fallen condition. <laughs> this is a story of redemption. In this season, 
we find hope in celebrating that God had a plan from the moment he began creation. We find hope knowing that God is ready to repair our broken lives no matter how mangled we might make them. Our hope exists because our God is a perfect and loving heavenly father. Our hope was foretold from the very beginning. And I pray that this season, this Christmas, for the next several weeks, you will rest in that hope. You will take joy and conviction and courage from that hope, and you will share that hope with the people that you meet day in and day out, because we truly have the opportunity to celebrate the greatest story ever told this Christmas. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll head out this morning. Father God, what an amazing blessing that you foretold our hope. Father, that you had something ready to go even when we didn't know we were going to mess up. And that story is true from the beginning of time until today. Nothing that we do, we say, we get into surprises you. You're ready for it. And you love us and you want to help us step out of that situation into what you have for us. And God, this season, this Christmas, this next month, I pray that your hope would fill us, that we would walk boldly in it, knowing, Father God, that you foretell good things for us. Father God, let that hope rest in us and let us share it with everyone we meet this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to thank you guys so much for being here as we kick off our Christmas season. Come back next week, invite a friend as we continue to look at the prophecies of Jesus. We'll see you guys next Sunday.